Coming up live this evening, live from New York City, natural gas prices soar to a decade high today. Are we going to see higher utility bills? The world's second largest sugar exporter is curbing exports. Will it impact the United States? A second shipment of baby formula arrives in the U.S., while the head of the FDA finds himself in the hot seat over why it's taken so long to respond. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Chenny Wu here for NTD Business. Today, natural gas prices in the U.S. surged to their highest level in over a decade, topping $9 per million BTU for a bit before going down again. Still, looks like higher utility bills are coming. Although natural gas exports are booming, output has slowed down, and now stockpiles are below normal, pushing prices up. In the past, utility companies might have switched to coal power for the short term, but that's also in short supply, with some plants going offline because of environmental concerns. So far this year, natural gas prices have increased about 150%. The world's second largest sugar exporter is limiting exports. The Indian government said it'll curb sugar exports to keep domestic prices and stock in check. The country will limit sugar exports to about, 100, about 10 million tons through September. On top of that, India banned wheat exports just days ago. And Malaysia is banning chicken exports. The bans could be a sign of rising food protectionism around the world. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has put a lot of pressure on the global food supply chain. And dozens of countries have enacted some sort of bans to make sure their people have enough domestic supply. The export bans may help countries keep supply and prices in check at home, but they're pushing up prices for countries that import the products. NTD's Don Ma talks to Ross Kennedy, founder of Fortis Analysis, about food protectionism and whether the U.S. will be impacted. Why is India banning sugar exports? So you've got, you know, India is the number two sugar producer in the world. Number one is Brazil. And right now India is facing a situation uh, particularly with its weather patterns and with uh, obviously global commodity uncertainty as well. There's a lot of countries right now that are facing food insecurity and it feels like it's a situation where uh, countries are beginning to take a look at uh, exactly how much they're producing and begin to limit and restrict those exports uh, to make sure they've got enough for themselves and then enough to make sure uh, that they are able to export to friends and allies. So they're trying to ban exports to try to uh, protect their domestic supply, but will it impact Americans? I don't think it'll impact Americans as much. Uh, the United States in particular, we have uh, a very restrictive uh, sugar import regime. Sugar is a highly protected, uh, heavily tariffed industry here in the U.S. Uh, you can only import in a few tranches per year, uh, so it won't impact us quite as much. We're facing a possible food shortage right now. Do you see food prices for Americans? to continue to go up? Any idea for how long? Yeah, I mean, it's a durable situation. You know, here in the United States are, are really our two staple crops as far as uh, a lot of uh, food ingredients are corn and soybeans. Uh, the, the refining of those and, uh, you know, those products go into a lot of different things. Uh, you know, corn milk could conceivably produce anywhere from 20 to 30 different items and not just high fructose corn syrup, but different sorts of additives like xanthan gum or monosodium glutamate. 
that go into food production. Soybeans produce even greater variety of products from. And so shortages of those uh, certainly will see an impact, uh, you know, because they're hard to replace uh, in the food processing formulas. Corn and soybean production, uh, both very delayed right now in the U.S. We're also looking at a shortage of wheat. Here in the U.S., I would anticipate prices to go up, uh, and, and that'll probably extend into next year as well. We're talking about serious shortages of diesel, uh, certainly for the next um, 18 to 24 months, uh, an awful lot of disruption, uh, whether it's on the grains and oilseed side or uh, on the meat side. Now, we're talking about a shortage in the U.S., but what about globally? Are we facing a global food shortage? We're facing, to some extent, uh, a shortage, but certainly uh, the, the issue is almost as much of dislocation of available supplies. Uh, right now, Ukraine is not able to export the significant amount of uh, old crop that it has in storage. Uh, you know, due to, due to uh, the Russian invasion. Uh, Russia, likewise, is, is not able to get its own materials out of the Black Sea region uh, because a lot, you know, not near as many people are buying Russian product as they were. So we've got that issue, but then you've got Brazil uh, is facing some uh, potential issues with their crop yields uh, for both their second season corn as well as their current plantings. Uh, and then we've got the United States, and then you've got China as well that has really begun restricting exports of certain ingredients, uh, like fertilizers, for example. So uh, your major sort of breadbasket regions of the world uh, that, that produce a lot of the exportable commodities that goes to countries that can't uh, feed themselves or they don't have enough arable land to feed themselves, uh, they're facing issues. Should we be worried about it? How serious is it? Uh, here in the United States, we shouldn't be worried about it as much. We will have uh, plenty of food. It will be abundant, the same as it always is. It will just be a lot, you know, a lot more expensive relative to what we've been used to. This shortage, uh, countries have reacted to it. Dozens are banning exports. Do you see that number going up? Yeah, I think so. Uh, in times of uncertainty, protectionism uh, and putting the country first typically is is the uh, the playbook that you'll see politicians use. Here in the U.S., we do still have enough crops that we're exporting to uh, China and other places. Um, but in other countries, uh, if they even have the material uh, they could potentially export, you're certainly going to see them uh, do it. You know, follow I think the path that India has followed uh, with their wheat and with their sugar, which is to make sure they have enough supplies domestically uh, for consumers before they worry about exports. Ross Kennedy, Fortis Analysis. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Pilots at Alaska Air have voted to authorize a strike if agreement on a new employment contract cannot be reached. Their union said today. The company's pilots have been picketing, asking for a market-based contract that includes higher wages and better benefits. The Airline Pilots Association is made up of over 3,000 pilots. It said 99% of those who cast their ballots backed strike authorization for concerns related to job security and schedule flexibility. Despite the vote, Alaska pilots cannot walk off the job until the National Mediation Board grants them permission. Twitter held its annual shareholders meeting today, but avoided discussing the biggest elephant in the room whether Elon Musk's takeover bid of the company is going through. About two weeks ago, Musk said the deal was on hold, arguing he wants to confirm how many of Twitter's users are real people first. Twitter's CEO only said they're working through the process, but can't give more details because of regulatory and other reasons. Elon Musk himself didn't join the meeting. 
He's Twitter's second largest shareholder, behind mutual fund Vanguard. This could be Twitter's last shareholder meeting if Musk's deal goes through and he decides to take it private. Management at Amazon can breathe a sigh of relief. Shareholders have voted against a whole range of resolutions at its shareholder meeting. Fifteen investor solutions resolutions were considered as so-called socially-minded investors scrutinized its treatment of workers, but all of them were rejected. They called for reports on things like worker health, worker safety, and warehouse working conditions. Amazon CEO had defended the company's health and safety record. There were also concerns over plastic pollution and Amazon's packing materials. The activist investors also wanted reports on pay information related to race and gender. Amazon management wanted its shareholders to vote against all the resolutions, and shareholders sided with them over the other investors. Swiss-based mining giant Glencore must pay over a billion dollars in penalties for bribery and price manipulation. The Justice Department says Glencore agreed to plead guilty to charges in two separate criminal cases. Here are the details. Attorney General Merrick Garland announced Tuesday that mining giant Glencore has agreed to pay around $1.1 billion in criminal fines. This concludes a five-year investigation by the Justice Department. Glencore pleaded guilty to charges in two separate criminal cases. In connection with the first plea, Glencore has agreed to pay approximately $700 million in penalties for its decade-long scheme to bribe foreign officials in seven different countries. The second plea involves Glencore's U.S. commodities trading arm, Glencore Limited, which engaged in a scheme to manipulate fuel oil prices at two of the busiest commercial shipping ports in the United States over the course of eight years. The Justice Department says Glencore made over $270 million by bribing foreign officials and over $140 million by manipulating commodity prices. Garland says this is the department's largest criminal enforcement action to date for a commodity price manipulation conspiracy in oil markets. Glencore paid over $100 million in bribes to government officials in Brazil, Nigeria, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Venezuela, the bribery scheme here spanned the globe. Glencore paid bribes to secure oil contracts. Glencore paid bribes to avoid government audits. Glencore paid bribes to judges to make lawsuits disappear. In a statement on Tuesday, Glencore says it cooperated with authorities and has made substantial investment to enhance its ethics and compliance program. The head of the Food and Drug Administration on the virtual hot seat today during a House hearing about the baby formula shortage. FDA Commissioner Robert Califf took questions from lawmakers about the agency's slow response to the shortage, and he acknowledged that the FDA has to make some changes. Here he is. FDA's timeliness of interviewing the whistleblower and getting into the facility for a for-cause inspection were too slow, and some decisions in retrospect could have been more optimal. The whistleblower Caliph referenced was a former employee from Abbott Nutrition. The employee documented his concerns about safety at the company's formula production facility in Michigan. He sent a detailed complaint to the FDA months before Abbott issued a recall on many of the brands of its baby formula. 
However, the agency said a mailroom issue delayed delivery of the report. More help now for families struggling to find baby formula. The second shipment in Operation Fly Formula has arrived today, and another 2 million cans will be arriving next month. They'll be from British company Kendall NutriCare. The Secretary of Agriculture says families should see them on shelves in the coming weeks. Begin to see uh, hopefully more supply in the next couple of weeks, and over the course of uh, several weeks, we should see a lessening of the tremendous stress that people have been feeling. Meanwhile, Abbott says it'll reopen its Sturgis, Michigan plant on June 4th. Supplies from there should start hitting store shelves about two weeks later. Abbott says it does have a limited amount of formula it produced before the shutdown. They plan to make that formula available free of charge to families that need it. According to the company, the products have undergone additional testing and are safe to distribute. Wall Street ended higher today. The Dow rose 192 points, or six-tenths of a percent. The S&P gained 37 points, or one percent. And the Nasdaq added 170 points, or one and a half percent. The Federal Reserve released the minutes for its May meetings today and seems like it's on track for more rate hikes at its upcoming June and July meetings. The United States doesn't want Russia to pay American investors in U.S. dollars pushing the country toward default. Russia says it wants to pay and says it'll do it in rubles instead. But things aren't that simple. NTD's Faye Corder has more. The U.S. says it'll stop letting Russia pay its American debt holders in U.S. dollars starting Wednesday. This pushes Russia closer to default. It looks highly likely that Russia's probably going to default. It's not a guarantee. Nicholas Creel is a business professor at Georgia College and State University. Creel says it'll be very expensive for Russia to borrow money after default, but that it'll be expensive for them regardless. This just comes off as being a punitive extra that does nothing but harm the reputation in the immediate term while also harming our own citizens who deserve repayment. Russia says it has money to pay its debts and that it wants to pay them. The country says it'll use rubles to pay instead, but it's unclear if investors will ultimately be able to get those ruble payments through the plumbing of global finance. Not just that, but... Most of these bonds uh, do not allow repayment in, uh, in rubles. Don Kaufman is the co-founder of Theotrade, an online financial education service. Kaufman says the impact on Russia itself is relatively small. The implications, though, are really on the side of the bondholders. I mean, ultimately, that default is, uh, is going to mean some billions of dollars not being repaid. Russia has around $1 billion in interest payments due before the end of 2022. Faye Quarter, NTD News. The CEO of pharmaceutical company Moderna says they're throwing away tens of millions of doses of COVID-19 vaccines because nobody wants them. They even tried contacting a number of governments. Still no takers. Here's the CEO in his own words. It's, it's sad to say I'm in the process of throwing 30 million doses into the garbage because nobody wants them. Uh, we have a big demand problem. He said it's a very different challenge compared to two years ago, when everyone wanted the vaccine. The CEO's comments come as Moderna gets ready to release what it calls a superior vaccine booster by fall. 
Moderna says it'll protect against Omicron and other variants. But deaths, deaths and hospitalizations have declined in recent months, leaving some European countries stuck with vaccines they can't use because of lack of demand. Several are now asking to renegotiate their vaccine contracts. Still to come, Amazon opens its first physical clothing store with a tech twist. What makes it different? A new animated film premieres in New York, wowing audiences and critics alike. NTD's Tiffany Meyer was on the scene at one of the first sold-out shows. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Hyundai owners, listen up. Hyundai has expanded a recall for some of its Elantra and Accent sedans due to a mechanical concern. It says the pretensioners, the devices that lock seatbelt retractors, can explode during a crash. Hyundai says it's aware of three incidents where this occurred. The original recall was in effect for just a few hundred cars, but it's now in effect for about 239,000. Hyundai Accents from 2019 through 2022 and Elantra's from 2021 through 2023. Officials say they now believe a flaw in the design of the pretensioners is to blame. The company is reaching out to the owners of affected vehicles so the parts can be replaced. Amazon's launching its first in-person clothing store today called Amazon Style. It comes with a high-tech twist. It could mean faster checkouts and fewer frustrations compared to traditional stores. NTD's Faye Quarter has more. Amazon Style uses machine learning and palm recognition to provide customers with personalized recommendations and fast checkouts. Just one of every item is on display rather than dozens of colors and sizes. You scan a QR code to select the variation you want, and store employees will send the colors in the right size and color to the fitting room or for checkout. So I scanned it, my size is pre-selected, and I'm gonna tap try on. So at this point, I've added a few things to my fitting room. I would be carrying those items with me, going and waiting in line for a fitting room. We wanted to simplify this for customers, so instead here, I was added to a virtual line for a fitting room. I can shop hands-free and I'll get a notification in the app when my fitting room's available. So as you'll see here, Amazon-style fitting rooms are personalized for each and every customer. The store will sell brands including Tommy Hilfinger, Levi's, and Steve Madden, according to Amazon's website. Amazon Style is the company's latest attempt to move into physical retail. Meanwhile, it's closing dozens of other physical locations like bookstores and mall kiosks to focus on grocery and fashion. Faye Quarter, NTD News. You might call it spider fiber, arachnid apparel, or a wearable web, but the biotech company making original fabrics inspired by spider webs calls it a new generation of textiles. 
Japanese startup Spiber calls it trademark fabric brood protein. It's being used in limited edition collections with brands including the North Face Japan. Spiber started by making a spider silk replica in the lab, then spun out its range for sustainable alternatives to wool, cashmere and denim. The company believes its biodegradable textiles will generate just a fifth of the carbon emissions of animal-based fibers once in full-scale production. Spiber is ramping up production and preparing for a full commercial launch. In Albania, the traditional craft of wool hat making endures thanks to a family that has passed on the skill set from generation to generation. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. In the ancient Albanian town of Kruja, a small shop in the old bazaar is making caps called Selesh. They're not as popular as they used to be, but the traditional craft associated with them is still here. The Guni family has proudly passed on the handcraft from generation to generation. We've continued to preserve this family tradition with my father, grandfather, great-grandfather, who have worked with this craft. We still preserve it. Namir Rakaj is an ethnographic expert from Kruya's National Ethnographic Museum. He shows the felt hats and tools used to make them. There are not a lot of people doing this kind of job you know, or this kind of hand, uh, handcrafts, you know. But in the old bazaar, is, we are lucky to have a person who make the traditional hat following the old tradition. And with, with his son in his own workshop, he still preserved the old tradition of making the national hat. Many machine-manufactured hats come from China and Turkey, making Guni's quest to save the tradition more difficult. Felt hats are part of our cultural heritage. It is a handcraft which luckily has survived to our days. We've managed to preserve it with many sacrifices. Kruya offers many tourist attractions, and these traditional hats continue to be a draw. This is a great value for Kruya, and it's a great value for Albania, for entire Albania. And it needs to be promoted because uh, people need to know and also to see how really was the handcraft, you know, and how to preserve the old traditions, how important it is to preserve it. Albania's tourism started to significantly increase two years ago, before the pandemic. Albania attracted 6.4 million tourists in 2019, when tourism accounted for about 9% of gross domestic product. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. It's going to be the world's fastest and longest range purpose-built business jet. That's how plane manufacturer Bombardier describes what it calls the Global 8000. The Canadian company says the jet, which is still in the works, will be able to travel 8,000 nautical miles, hence the name. That's about 9,200 miles. To put it in perspective, a Boeing 747 has a range of about 8,800 miles. As far as speed, the new jet has a reported top speed of over 700 miles an hour. The plane is expected to enter service in 2025. It's one of many developments in the push to raise the speed of passenger aircraft. United Airlines says it could be offering supersonic routes as early as 2029. Almost a dozen groundbreaking new films are playing in New York City this week, welcoming back a beloved film festival for the first time since the pandemic. NTD's Tiffany Meyer was on the scene at the movie premiere of a new animated film. 
The Human Rights Watch Film Festival is returning to New York after a two-year break. Supporting human rights, it just seems so awesome, especially in New York City, too. We're here at Lincoln Center at the Human Rights Watch Film Festival, where we're about to watch Eternal Spring. Let's see who we can grab before that. We're very interested in this film because of the artistic dimension of it. Eternal Spring is a stunning new animation film which tells the story of brave members of Falun Gong or Falun Dafa, a spiritual practice with 100 million practitioners around the world. It was really good. I loved how unique the animation was. You could tell they really put a lot of passion and care into it. The massive group was tortured in China. Many were even killed by the Chinese Communist Party for simply believing in their faith. This was like something that I've never had any information on before. People are so affected by it, but it's not world-renowned and no one's talking about it. And so I just kind of want this to get out there and have people see this um, film. I met up with director and producer Jason Loftus right before the movie's U.S. premiere. We talked about what inspired him to make this movie, which took nearly six years to bring to fruition. took my lead really from the people that I was seeing come out of China. And what I witnessed was people who were willing to sacrifice a lot more than I was facing in order to be able to speak the truth in the face of injustice. And I just figured if we don't do the same with the freedom um, that we have here, then, you know, we may regret that in the long run. So I think it's important that we use the freedom we have to speak up. And fortunately, I think there's a lot of people who agree with that. Loftus is also the CEO of his own gaming studio, producing video games that have grown in popularity worldwide, including China. But while producing the Eternal Spring movie, the Chinese government put immense pressure on his business, trying to stop him from releasing the film. So the video game I mentioned was being published by Tencent in China, which is a large media company. But in the midst of making these films, uh, the, the Chinese government contacted Tencent and forced them to cut ties with my company. But Loftus and his team persisted, releasing the film anyway. Sold out tonight at the Lincoln Center, which is really exciting. I'm looking forward to it. I also spoke to the comic book artist behind the movie, as well as one of the main characters, Da Xiong. He's worked on big comic book projects, including Star Wars and the Justice League. There are always people in this world who need to stand up and do the right thing, just like the sacrifices by the group of heroes depicted in this movie. The movie has already won many awards after premiering in Canada and Europe, on its way to becoming a global success even without the Chinese market. Go to the theater, <laughs> see this movie. It's a very powerful story. I highly recommend everyone seeing it. We just watched Eternal Spring. It was truly beautiful and touching. If you get the chance, come check it out. This was just the first stop on their U.S. tour, so there's lots still coming. Tiffany Meyer, NTD News, New York. To watch the new animated film Eternal Spring, you can still catch it at select theaters across the U.S., including California, New Jersey, and Oklahoma. You can also stream it online. That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Chenny Wu. You can still catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. You can follow me on Twitter, too. For NTD Business, that's all for today. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you tomorrow.